This episode is brought to you by Harry's. Harry sent me a razor starter kit recently to try, and I put it to use very quickly because I keep myself clean shaven. In fact, I pretty much shave every single day because I have lots of facial hair. It grows back very quickly, and it's also really thick, and it hurts a lot when I shave normally, with a bad razor at least. So I've been using Harry's razors for like a week now. They're very nice. It's a five-blade razor, and I have to say, it really does effortlessly shave through my normally very annoying facial hair. It doesn't hurt one bit, no tugging, anything like that. And it stayed sharp the entire time as well. I'm very impressed so far. It also has kind of a good weight to it. It's like heavier than normal. I don't know. It's like, it's just got a good weight to it. I really like that. I didn't know I liked it before, but now I know I like it. I also really liked the shaving cream just because it smells really good. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by questionable shaving products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of other big brands. Harry's has a customizable delivery option for scheduled refills as low as $2, half of what you pay from other big brands. Don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com otherworld. That's harrys.com otherworld for a $3 trial set. Welcome to Other World. I'm your host, Jack Wagner. This is the finale of the Many Things series. If you haven't heard the first four episodes, you should go back and start from the beginning. This story has always been so different to me. You know, when most people hear ghost stories, I know that it's easy to be like, oh, maybe this one person just imagined all this. Maybe they had a carbon monoxide leak. Maybe there was black mold. Maybe there's something that they just don't understand yet. It's not so easy to do that with this one. All of these things were witnessed by multiple people. And not only that, this family actually owns a construction and commercial real estate company. All of the potential explanations, like gas leaks, electrical problems, abnormalities, poor construction, black mold, those were the first things they jumped to when the strange stuff started happening. And they had all of that inspected by the many experts they have access to with their company. Nobody could find an explanation. In fact, the people around Sarah, including Cameron, tried to explain this away and deny it for months until they finally ended up witnessing something for themselves. Something I've learned in the process of making this show is that I think when people go through something like this, a really prolonged difficult situation like what Sarah and Cameron went through. They would love nothing more than to have some kind of explanation that allows them to go back to how things were before it all started. Even if that explanation is that they're crazy and they just imagine it all. Anything would be better than their current situation. Where we left off in the last episode, things got to a point that seemed pretty hopeless. All of the experts that this family reached out to were unable or unwilling to help Sarah began waking up in strange rooms, sleepwalking in a way that concerned her mom. She was making threats to Cameron, and her father witnessed her face changing before his eyes at lunch. He described it to me as glitching, like another face flickering in over her real one rapidly. This made Sarah's dad get very desperate. In the past, some astrologers and psychics that he reached out to told him that they sensed this house might have been built on top of an old waterway. 
that there might have been some spiritual significance to the indigenous people that lived there before. Granted, none of these people had actually been to the house before. But at this point, Sarah's dad was getting desperate. He had run out of options. And he decided to reach out to the only indigenous person that he knew. Basically a random guy that worked on one of his construction crews. He pulled this guy into his office and asked him if he happened to know anyone that could help out with his family situation. And by the way, it should go without saying that you should not do this if you think your house is haunted. It would be pretty rude to reach out to a random indigenous person hoping they could help. Sarah's dad certainly knew this, but I think he felt like he had no other choice. Luckily for him, it turned out that this guy's brother was exactly the person that might be able to help this family out. Fortunately, this guy's brother agreed. He said, we're going to wait till the full moon and then we're going to come over and perform a ceremony. And just to set the scene, these guys who came over into this ceremony, if you saw them on the street, you wouldn't look twice at them. They came over wearing Wrangler jeans, boots, Carhartt, leather jackets, stuff like that, you know, construction guys. In fact, Cameron even knew one of them from the past, from washing windows or something like that. You would never think that a group of guys like this would be performing a ceremony like you're about to hear, but that's exactly what happened. We're going to pick up right where we left off. This is episode 58. The title is Many Things, Part 5, The Finale. And you're listening to Otherworld. Hello? Is this Bobby? Yes, it is. At at its core, the science, you can't argue with. A story about up in the sky. It's almost frustrating that it's happening. I'm literally, I'm going to die. It's limbs were just like wrong. Everybody moves back into the light, even if it takes them a minute. So God love my dad. He he literally went up to the only native person he knew and said, can you come into my office and talk to me and explain the situation? And was such a nice guy. I always liked him. And he said, yeah, you know, actually like my brother, my brother's kind of like a medicine man. He's kind of like a shaman. He knows a lot about this stuff. Like we need to talk to him. And my dad talk to his brother and he said, I can help you absolutely no problem. So a ceremony was planned. It was either the 29th or 30th of November. It was like the last day or days of November and it was cold. I went to the backyard. There's this huge Manitoba maple in the backyard giving shade to uh, a fence. And I happened to look over. It was a sunny afternoon. The sun was setting. And I happened to look over under the tree on the fence line was this gigantic moth. I have never seen a moth that size before. It was just giant and black, dark with some spots on it. 
It was almost like the size of a big pomegranate. Well, and it just sat there on the fence. You know, wasn't fluttering away. It was just it just sat there. And I remember, you know, having this impression. And this guy arrives, young guy. You wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily take him to be a medicine man to see him. He just looked like a normal guy. But they had all this stuff with them, right? They had all this, these, um, you know, these, uh, I'm going to call them spiritual artifacts that, that, that you know, like a, a peace pipe or a, an instrument um, wrapped in, in, in clothing, wrapped in cloth. So they unwrapped them and they showed them to me and they said, these are things that are incredibly near and dear to us because they have, they're imbued with sacred meaning for us. In other words, like when something attaches itself to, to us, and they went through a long explanation to me and said, it's like this feather. You know, if, um, if I'm carrying this feather with me now, it's because this feather belongs with me. And the reason I know it belongs with me is because even if I tried to throw it away, it would come back to me somehow. And they told me these stories of how these artifacts came into their lives and wouldn't wouldn't disappear. So I said, great. All right. So they, they explained to me that what we were going to do um, was uh, build a bonfire with a special wood, three, three types of wood, and, and build up some coals. And I would be tending to the fire. And uh, they took Sarah and Cameron aside and, and did a long interview with them, told them essentially what they were going to do. And, um, and then they proceeded to um, perform this ritual. I remember I came home from work and Peter was like, okay, here's so-and-so, introduced me to them, the one guy I knew, the brother I didn't know. And like, he gave me a breakdown of how it was gonna work. And, like he told Sarah to basically remove herself from the house, that this is gonna be a process done by the men. So I come home and I go to him like, I need a beer before this all starts. And he was like a recovering alcoholic. He's like, oh, that's what alcoholics say. And I was like, buddy, I'm like, if you fucking lived in my house for one day, I go, you, you'd be having a fucking beer before this happened too. So I remember drinking the beer, going in the backyard. This guy's already chopping up firewood or making a fire in the backyard, which is illegal in Toronto. And he breaks it down to me. He's like, okay, we're going to go inside. We're going to start in the basement. And he goes, we're going to go room by room by room. And he's like, we're going to burn this fire outside first. We're going to smoke tobacco and give it a peace offering of tobacco. Once we do that, we're going to take the coals from this fire and we're going to put them in this pot. And he's like, we're going to start in the basement. And he's like, Sarah, you are going to say whatever you want to say to this entity, whatever this thing is. And then Sarah is going to be removed. And he goes, you and I and his brother and Peter, we're going to go through room by room by room by room, open the window, say a native a native prayer and close the window. So after the prayer is said, basically you're asking it to exit the house, exit the room, the window's closed, you can't come back in. And I'm thinking, okay, 
Sure. Let's let's do it. Like nothing can can hurt at this point. Let's do it. So I came home and there's like these four native guys in my backyard and my dad and Cameron and they're building this giant fire. And they quickly, you know, hi, how are you? Introduce themselves. They all seem like super nice guys. And then said, okay, I need to talk to the two of you as in me and Cameron. You need to tell me what's going on. So we sat for like, as long as I'm talking to you now for a couple hours, we sat for a couple hours and we told him everything that was going on and told him all about it. And he didn't look surprised. He didn't look shocked. He took it all in, in his stride. And he said, listen, I had a dream about your house before I came here. I saw exactly what it looked like. He said, I saw the spirit inside. He said, it's very angry. He felt that it was extremely young, like a young teenager, like 15, 16. And he felt like he had died in tragic circumstances, that he was some kind of a warrior. And he felt that he had never had a female presence in his life. He had never known his mother. He had never had a girlfriend. He had never had a woman. And that's how he became so attached to me. He said that, like, his guides, his spirit guides showed him what herbs and what plants he needed to burn to smoke the spirit out, and that he had brought those. Um, And that what we essentially had to do is we had to make a fire from our wood from our land, and we had to use the coals from that fire along with these sacred medicines and herbs to um, smoke the spirit out. So what he told us to do was go open every single window in our house. We did that. And that we would, um, you know, smoke it out. So my dad and I are instructed to stoke the fire. Cameron and these other three men went inside to um, do the smoking. Cameron, I believe, had sage. One of the other ones had cedar and the other one had sweet grass. Oh, I should also say before this, we gave a tour of the house before this and he knew exactly where it lived. We didn't tell him any of this. My dad didn't tell him any of this. He was like, this is spirit's room. This is spirit lives in this closet. Oh yeah, spirit likes it here. This is a good, good energy for him to feed off in here. Like he knew it all. And he also told us that like, I felt, I felt bad for him. He told us he had just had a baby three days ago. And that's what kind of like made me feel good. Like he wasn't a bullshitter. You know, if he was leaving his three-day-old baby to come and help us, he was like, oh, my baby protects me. It sends me good light. And, uh, you know, made me feel like these guys were really genuine and they really genuinely did want to help us. And I still believe it to this day that in the end, that's what saved us is like, these guys could have resented Cameron and I for like a lot of different reasons. And there wasn't an ounce of that. They were just genuinely so nice and loving and caring towards us and just very um, charitable in what they did for us. So we go in the basement we make the fire outside, we take the coals, put them in a bucket, we put it in sage, 
and Birch Bark. And Birch Bark has five layers. So his explaining to me was good always trumps evil. So when you burn the birch, you burn four layers. And the fifth layer is good. So when you good, evil, good, evil, good, evil, good. The burning of the last layer is good and it will remove the spirit. So I'm like, sure, let's do it. So we put in the birch bark. Sarah and I go in the basement by ourselves and I have the bucket and we look at each other and like I start tearing up because I'm thinking like, this is fucking serious now. Like, not that I looked at it as a joke, but I looked at it like, is this going to work? And if this doesn't work, like what is going to work and what options do we possibly have after this if it doesn't work? And I got fucking scared and I was like, it's not a lot that scares me. Not that I'm trying to brag, but, you know, I've been through a shitty, shitty life. Um, so I was like, fuck, let's go. And like, I can't recall exactly what was said between me and Sarah, but basically looked at her and I just said, you know, please leave, leave us alone. We mean no harm to you. We want to build a life here. We want to have a family. Please move on. Go, you know, just remove yourself from from our situation so we can live our life. And she said something along the same lines and she left. And then they came back in and we opened up every window in the basement and said whatever, whatever, not a, obviously not a prayer, but whatever was said. By the time we went through every room, and this is by far the most fucked up thing that I've ever been part of or ever seen in my entire fucking life. We went to every single room, opened the window, said, you know, the Indian prayer, the Indian whatever. And we went to the room that the door was fucking slammed on, on Sarah's brother. That was the last room we did. And I remember looking in the bucket when we got upstairs and I'm like, I went to the gentleman, I said, should we get some more coals? I go, because those coals are dead. I'm like, there's barely any smoke coming out. There's no, there's no birch bark left. Like, should we reload it? And he goes, no, it's the last room, it's fine. So I opened up the window in the last room where we saw the writing on the back of the wall or the back of the door. We said we had to say, I close the window. We walk into the common hallway to go down the stairs. And I look in the bucket and it's like, it looked like smoldering leaves. Like there was not, there was no substance to the coals. They were gone. And he goes, I, he's like, I, I have a feeling we got it. And he said that, and the, the bucket just exploded in flame, like four feet in the air. Shot up so high, he dropped it. I grabbed on the ground, there's like, you know, I've never seen four feet of flame shoot up from, from coals that were like, you would have from a cigarette butt. When it dropped, there was nothing even to clean up. It wasn't like there was wood and ash and shit that went everywhere. It was, it was nothing. I picked the buck, I picked up the, the champagne pail, whatever the buck you want to call it, and it was gone. It was like a flash in the pen. The medicine man took a bucket with some of the sacred wood and the coals, and as it was smoking, 
uh, billowing smoke through the house. I think they were doing incantations or prayers, uh, First Nation prayers. The smoldering fire just went like six feet high, flames. Just like he said, if my head had been over the pail at that point in time, I would have had third-degree burns. So this flame came rising out of the pail, and then the fellow said, okay, now we open all the doors and all the windows and let the spirits out. I remember picking the bucket up. I had no shoes on. He goes, let's get out of the house. He's like, I think we got it. I'm like, I remember we all ran down the stairs and went outside. And like, he made me say one more, one more thing before I closed the front door. And I had the bucket in my hand and I closed the front door with no shoes on, bare feet, ran outside, looked in the bucket and it was like literally empty. There's nothing in it. Like there's nothing that would have... Nothing that would allow a flame of four feet to, to shoot out from. And he told me, he goes, I've never seen something like that in my life. He goes, so I think we got it. And honestly, after that, it, it worked. Like he, he was able to contact this thing and speak to it in a way that we couldn't. And like it turns out he was, I, I, you know, I can't don't quote me on this, but. He was some type of native warrior, a young, young kid who, you know, was, who, who knows what it was? Who knows what his exact story was? But when I have this, this guy tell me that he's never seen something like this in his entire life, and here I am, one of the most realest person in the world who doesn't believe that this could happen and see a four-foot flame shoot out from a fucking bucket with nothing in it, like, it shook me. I, I didn't even know what to think. Like, I, it made me believe in something that I, I didn't think was real. A whole different world. And I don't know if it's that we just all believed that we wanted it so bad to fucking work because we had no... No other options, or that he knew what he was doing. But I'm, I'm going to tell you this right now. As real as I drink this bush fucking beer, I have never seen any of that in my entire fucking life. Ever. And it scared the shit out of me to this day. And you can, you can put that right onto your podcast. If anybody wants to say anything, Tell them to fucking call me. Because it was fucking insane, Jack. It was insane. Okay. We have to go to a quick ad break. But we'll be right back with the rest of the story after that. Springtime is here. I've recently had all of my windows open, letting in the breeze, the smell of fresh flowers blooming all over my neighborhood. This is what a house should smell like. It should not smell like your cat's litter box. Thankfully, Pretty Litter makes that very easy. 
Nothing beats Pretty Litter's ability to instantly trap odor. It's ultra-absorbent, lightweight, low dust, and one six-pound bag works for up to a month. It also gives me peace of mind knowing Pretty Litter's crystals change color to indicate early signs of potential illness in my cat, like urinary tract infections, kidney issues, and more. This is especially useful now that my cat is hanging out constantly by our screen door, getting visitations from coyotes, raccoons, squirrels, other cats, who knows what else. So it's very helpful knowing that if he picks up anything weird from them, I'll notice right away in his litter. When I first got my cat Merlin, I tried using the cheap cat litter that comes in those huge, giant bags from the pet store. That stuff is awful. Some of it smells worse than the smells it's supposed to be covering up. It does not have to be like that. There's a better way to live. There's no reason for your house to smell like your cat's litter box. If your house smells like a cat's litter box, that's on you. That's not on your cat. Pretty Litter is amazing. You should give it a try. Go to prettylitter.com slash otherworld to save 20% on your first order and get a free cat toy. That's prettylitter.com slash otherworld to save 20% on your first order and get a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, Otherworld listeners. I'm excited to tell you about a show that I love and I think you're going to love as well. It's called Sophia with an F, starring Sophia Franklin. This show is about as different from Otherworld as a show could possibly be, which is why I think many people were very, very shocked when I got invited on as a guest around Halloween. It was really the crossover that nobody expected. I'll never forget the day my episode came out and every single one of my college-age cousins texted me all at the same time. Very confused, but also very excited. It was nice to hear from all of them, though, and uh, finally get some respect. I had a great time on the show. Sophia is really down-to-earth, which is why I think her interviews are so good. We talked about Otherworld, the paranormal, getting into this whole thing unexpectedly, as I did, and a lot of other stuff that I think normally does not get discussed on Sophia with an F. Normally in the show, Sophia Franklin goes deep on sex, life, mental health, relationships, and everything in between. You could get Sophia all to yourself every Monday for solo mini-episodes and every Thursday with her ride-or-die best friends, experts, and some famous guests on a host of other topics, topics that are not safe for the dinner table, from foursomes and sugar daddies to wild sexcapades and tips for keeping things fresh in the bedroom. It's raw and laugh-out-loud funny, no borders and no filters. My personal favorite is the episode with Waka Flocka Flame, if you want somewhere to start. Listen to and follow Sophia with an F on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to be really bad at keeping track of my finances. A very stupid part of me believed that if I just don't look at my bank accounts and my credit card statements, the money will all still be there, even if I spent it on stupid stuff that month. Well, that's not how it works. I learned the hard way. It's quite the opposite. Usually, when I finally did look, I'd notice that there was some subscription I'd been paying for that I forgot to cancel or I got overcharged for something and it's too late to fix. But now I use Rocket Money to keep track of all of that for me so I don't have to worry. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so you could grow your savings. Rocket Money finds all of your bills and subscriptions for you, lays them out, and gives you the option to cancel them automatically, or it can negotiate a lower price for you. I recently tested this out on my internet bill, and they were able to negotiate a lower price for me. I saved like $300 doing this. If you're like me and you get scared checking your accounts, Rocket Money 
might be your savior. It's nice having everything in one place and under control. I promise you're going to be very happy once you finally do it. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash otherworld. That's rocketmoney.com slash otherworld. When Sarah saw me come out of the front door and saw us all run out and I'm in my socks and like, I think her jaw like kind of dropped too because she just sat outside the whole time waiting for us to, to finish this thing. So they, they go on and do it and they're smoking it out and all of a sudden um, <laughs> the bucket that's just coals at this point catches fire once they get into that room to the point the has to drop the bucket and put out the fire. And uh, Cameron relayed this information to me. I wasn't there, obviously, but he said it was crazy. The whole thing took maybe an hour. Um, And then they came back to the outside bonfire and basically explained to us that, that that should, in fact, take care of the spirit or spirits that were uh, hanging around the house and and Sarah. And that was it. But they did say that, you know, it's interesting, they did say that, um, you know, there's a few things in the house that they wanted to point out that needed to change. Uh, and that was, they, they pointed out that like Cameron likes his beer and he drinks uh, a fair number of beer cans around the house. And they said, open alcohol like that, even if it's bottles or cans. No, no, it's a no, no. Can't do that. Said so you either have to, you know, cut it out entirely, you know, quit drinking. Or if you're going to drink, don't keep these bottles around. Don't keep these empty cans around. Dispose of them. Get rid of them. Don't keep them around the house. And this guy told me, too, he's like, you guys got to change your lifestyle. He's like, you having empty beer cans around your house and then, you know, taking pisses and having your friends piss in your backyard. uh, You can't do that. And I was like, is that really effective? But, you know, I stopped doing that. Like I had empty beer cans in the back by the barbecue, and, and he's like, that's not good. So it was like little things like that that I had no idea about that. You know, cleaning up and respecting your property because it's someone else's land and that's what they're looking at. You know, this guy, this thing was lived here or used this piece of land and didn't like that it wasn't being taken care of like how he did I guess like that's what I took that's what I took from what he told me you know he's like you didn't respect your land you didn't respect your property the day after I came home from work and I cleaned up every goddamn piece of garbage on my property which wasn't much but I was scared shitless I didn't want this thing coming back um, they also said they also gave them I was I was there when they sort of gave them a lecture of you know um, it's important you have faith. And whatever that faith is, whether you choose to, you know, to move 
towards Catholicism or move towards your Judaism, it's, it's important that you embrace one or the other or be clear in your embrace of your religion and let, let that reflect out through the household. The smoke, the smoke lingered in our house for hours. And he told us once the smoke was gone, it was gone. And he gave us this really big lecture about, you know, we had to respect our property. You know, Cameron had to stop pissing down the side of the house when he was drunk. I had to, you know, stop using black decorations in the house. We had to clear out recycling and garbage as soon as possible. We really had to have like respect for our land. Um, and was also at the same time extremely confident that he got rid of it and it wasn't coming back. He told us basically go out now and come back and it'll be gone. And we did. We went out. We came back. We, and we were like speculating with each other. Like, do you think it's gone? And I was like, I don't know. I'm scared it's not gone. Cameron was like, I think it's gone. We went back and it was sort of like this anticlimactic ending. We just felt that it was gone. And we went to bed that night. The entire house smelled like sage, like the sweaty, sagey smell was kind of nice. And um, I slept. Like I slept peacefully and soundly. And that feeling that we talked about at the beginning, that feeling of being watched, it was like dust in the wind. It wasn't even, it, not even like remnants of it. And I can tell you this, after it happened, it was probably the best sleep I had had since, you know, since the, the pendulum swinging of my pendants in my, my kitchen. Like, we slept. We slept. Now, was it completely finished? No, but... It was a massive, massive step in the right direction that eventually, you know, got it out. So, yeah, uh, as far as the house was concerned, Jack, I, I thought that was it, right? Um, I thought that that was the end of the story. Yeah, do I believe that the spirits have completely gone? I don't know. I, I still wonder. I'm still suspicious. Um, and I go back to that moth, and uh, I did a little bit of research on, on moths. And um, apparently when you see a moth like that at a home, it, uh, there's, a, there's a connotation that the home is haunted. That was sort of like a signal to me at the very beginning that this house is haunted. He was very quiet. He came home and he had a, I remember he had a big, he's not a drinker, like I said, but he poured himself a big scotch. And he just looked at me and went, whoa. But he said, I think, you know, these guys, he, all he said is, Joe, I feel good because I think these guys knew what they were doing. He said, I think they knew, he said it was fighting it, but he said, I think they knew what they were doing. And he kept saying, I hope to God, I hope to God it's, you know, gone. So a couple days later, Cameron and I are smoking a cigarette in his 
garage and we're, we're, we're really happy, right? We're giddy. We're like teenagers. We're playing around and listening to music and laughing. And I'm like, I got to pee. I go inside. As soon as I open my front door, I see something. It looks like a monster. It's like hairy all over. How could, like, you know, when you see, um, like indigenous people have like those garments that they would put on to like intimidate their enemies and make them think that they were monsters. That's exactly what it looked like. Like fur, like fur, like, like, um, like, like eyes that, like I saw it for a split second, right? So like they often put like beading that looks like eyes. That's my best estimation of what it was. And it was, he was, he was tall, but not like the other thing, like not like, unnaturally supernaturally tall like he could have been a man for sure and and like I said it was a split second it was near the back side door so it was almost as if he was leaving and looking back on it now I think I needed to see this like warrior it was like he was like making sure that I didn't like him or something (laughs) Or like he just wanted to show me what he looked like to get some form of satisfaction. And after that, it was well and truly gone. Nothing ever happened after that. I, I, I mean, afterwards I asked, I, I got together with that fellow who, who uh, had done some work for me and I asked him, look, you know, is there, is there anything, any way that we can repay you or repay your brother? And he said, look, you know, we're, we do social work for, for Native causes. And he said, if you want to make some donations on behalf of those causes, that would be great. But no, we don't, we don't take money. Um, he said, the reason that we got involved is because you came to us with uh, the idea that you had been told that this had a First Nations uh, component to it. And that's the reason why, you know, we decided to, to do something. I'm the type of person that, like, I cannot have someone do for me without me doing back for them. Like, that was killing me that he did this for me and he changed our lives and saved us essentially with his kindness. And I kept trying to, my dad kept trying to like offer him money and he wouldn't take it. So what I did is I started like contacting like native charities, like, can I do this for him? Like, can I give on his behalf? And I did that. Um, I tried to ask him if there was anything that I could do. He, he, he was like insisting, no, we had a couple emails back and forth. Like, no, no, it's fine. I'm so happy you guys are doing better actually ended up like somehow I don't even know how I figured this out but somehow I ended up paying off like he had like I don't know 500 bucks and like outstanding library charges and I ended up paying those off because I just wanted to do something for him and like I wanted to like nail down that he really did help us and that I was like somehow deserving of it and um yeah and then we had a couple emails and where he was like so so happy that you're doing better and blah 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 and then we just never heard from them again not only did he he did like a lot of stuff for us and he was like our go-to guy for a lot of stuff and he literally disappeared into thin air he wouldn't answer emails from anyone 
He wouldn't uh, answer phone calls. Like his, it seemed like even his number was disconnected. They just disappeared off the face of the earth. I feel like even after everything, I feel like I never really got to do like a proper thank you to them. Because truly at the end of the day, their, their, their kindness, their like unabashed kindness to strangers really is what saved us in the end. They could have said, well, I don't know, figure it out, you know, or they could have chose not to help us at all or not even listen to us. And they really, really saved us. And it's weird. It's weird that, that we don't even have any contact with them anymore, that they've disappeared off the face of the earth and they had such a huge impact on our lives. After it was over, I just wanted to move on, okay? I didn't, like, have a lot of, like, philosophical downtime to, like, think about what this meant or um, the implications of it. But now I think about it, and I think um, it's, it's maybe not a fluke that this happened to me, that I think I probably, in some form or another, agreed to do this. I don't know about in a past life, but I kind of do believe in like sacred, um, what do they call it? Sacred like promises that maybe you make with God or like a God figure before you come into this world of like things you're willing to deal with. I had something else really traumatic happen to me as a child. And I think that I went through that. So I, someone else didn't have to go through that. I really believe that that's like something I've used to get through it. Um, And that I'm a really strong person I know I'm like a really resilient and strong person and that maybe someone else couldn't have handled this, but that I came out on the other side much stronger, much deeper in my love for Cameron and um, much deeper in my love for life. And something like this, it's just like being sick. You're like, oh my God, like this is life. Like after it was over, like this, (laughs) this is living life. Like being in a house where there's not something terrorizing you, like how great is it just to like hang out with your boyfriend and like watch a movie and like laugh and like have a glass of wine. Like maybe you don't appreciate those things when um, you're just like living a normal life and then something like this takes you out of it, stops you from like enjoying the like little things that we take for granted. So I think that this has actually made me grow spiritually as a person. And I don't mean this, like this experience with the haunting, I mean this experience, doing this podcast with you because it's given me time to reflect on all of this. And I think too, I don't want to like say this like black and white, but I think me and Cameron went through so much after this. Like I said, it's almost like there was like a little lingering curse or like something that we still had to like play out and then coming back together was just like this like, I mean, this sounds corny, but like this amazing gift from God to come back together and to have a family, you know, so fulfilling for both of us in different ways because of who he is and what he's went through and because of what I am and what I've went through for us to come back and have a family and be together and have this little girl who she is a gift of all gifts. She is everything amazing uh it's almost like that's like okay you went through all of this but now 
this is the good part and this is your reward for maybe putting up with some spiritual turmoil. Thank you so much to Sarah and her entire family for sharing that incredible story with us. Sarah and Cameron actually gave birth to their second child while this series was being released. I told her not to listen to these episodes while she was in the hospital, but she ignored me. So congratulations to both of them. I think what I liked most about this story is that these guys had every reason in the world not to help Sarah and Cameron, but they chose to do it anyway. I'm not sure why they did. Maybe, perhaps, they were even interested in helping the spirits move on from the house, whatever it was that was in there. Part of the reason I took so long to release these episodes is that even after hearing the full thing, there was still so much more that I wanted to know. So we ended up spending quite a lot of time trying to learn more about some of those lingering questions. First, we are unfortunately not able to learn too much about the previous owner of the house. All of the neighbors that knew him have since moved away. The guy had a really, really common name, and Canada's privacy laws are not as loose as the United States, so it was very difficult. What I do know is that he was a bit of a hoarder. You could see piles of junk sitting in the driveway and all over the yard for years in photos. There were also multiple police calls to the house, one of them for animal cruelty. You could actually see the animal control van outside of the house on Google Maps. The next questions involved the ancient history of the land that this house sits upon. You know, throughout this story, we heard various people say all sorts of things about this house, including that it might have been built on top of a river, there might have been this trading ground on this river that was important to the indigenous people of the time. There was possibly burial sites. And then at the very end, this man says that one of the spirits is a young warrior. And I know all of this stuff is really interesting and it makes for a really good scary story. But I couldn't help but wonder if any of it could be verified. After all, a lot of this was said by psychics and astrologers who had never even visited the house. So we spent so much time calling and emailing historical societies, native centers, professors, universities, anybody that we thought might be able to help us find out what used to be on this land before the house got built. Most people did not get back to us. The ones that did were unable to help they just simply did not know what was there before the house got built. Nobody seemed to know anything about this area. Either people didn't know anything or they didn't get back to us. So we finally just decided to try to do our best to look for ourselves. And we ended up enlisting the help of Brianne, the archaeologist that you heard in episode 47. And believe it or not, we ended up finding some things. First of all, it turns out that there was a river. I really didn't think that we were going to find this, but sure enough, there was. 
It was called Mud Creek. It was diverted in 1889, and it ran directly under Sarah and Cameron's house. Not nearby, not in the area. It ran directly under the house. I was able to line up old maps of these waterways with modern ones, and it ran right under their property. Mind you, it's long gone. They currently live on dry land, but back before 1889, there was a creek under the land where their house now sits. Not only that, it turns out that this creek was indeed part of a trading route that Brienne found from the 1600s. This house is located adjacent to the western branch of the Wendat Toronto Carrying Place, which was an indigenous portage trail leading from Lake Ontario to Lake Simcoe. So the trading grounds thing might have some truth to it as well. The most significant find is an archaeological dig that we came across called the Jacks Eglinton site. This is an archaeological dig that was done just two years before the river was diverted, and it was done just a little over a mile from Sarah's house. It yielded over 250,000 artifacts from a large Wendat village dating back to the 1600s. The borders of this dig extended up to 1.5 miles. It was pretty rough, but it did extend far enough to reach the land where Sarah's house is located. So basically, this dig indicated that there was a thriving village that existed in the 1600s. Not only that, evidence from the dig and oral history indicates a giant battle that took place after the Iroquois came across this village in the summer of 1649. So, it is also likely that there was indeed some kind of large battle that took place on the land where Sarah's home now sits. Now, does this have anything to do with what happened inside of Sarah's home? That, I can't say. But I was absolutely blown away that nearly everything that was predicted by various spiritual practitioners in this story ended up being verifiable. And mind you, this information is not common knowledge. We had to dig very, very deep, and the historical societies we did talk to weren't even telling us about this stuff. If you're curious, I'll go into more details about this in some kind of epilogue episode later on. As for the men that performed this ceremony and then disappeared, I really wanted to find them. I had so many questions. At the very least, I too wanted to know what Sarah or the show could do to thank them for selflessly helping this family. It was not easy, but we eventually did end up getting a hold of them. The bad news is that they were not particularly excited about that. To say this guy was not interested in speaking on the podcast would be an understatement, but I was able to confirm the story with him, and I also spoke to his apprentice. He told me they are not to discuss it, receive attention, or reward from what they do. Both of them have normal day jobs and do this in their spare time. So unfortunately... I was not able to get them to speak on the show, but I thought I would end this series by reading a message that he sent to Sarah recently after she asked him one more time how she could possibly repay him. Hello, Sarah. 
I must tell you something very important, which I need you to mention in the podcast or in any writing in publications. I need to remain anonymous. This only works because the great spirit gave me the gift to see and work with spirit. I cannot advertise, expose, and make any profit from this work. Although I appreciate the accolades and dedication, I cannot put my name on it. I have many gifts and do many things. I am nobody special. Sarah and her family have chosen to donate to the Native Women's Resource Center of Toronto. I'm going to be donating as well, and I'll also put a link to that charity in the description of this episode. This has been episode 58, Many Things, part five, and you've been listening to Otherworld. Otherworld is executive produced and hosted by myself, Jack Wagner. Our theme song is by Coberman. The soundtrack of this episode is by Juice Jackal. The series was edited by Theo Krantz and engineered by Theo Schaefer. Our artwork is by Cul-de-Sac Studios. Production help by Nikki Kate Delgado and Haley Pearson. Also, a special shout out to Brienne Diornelis for helping us with research, as well as Nikki Kate Delgado, who is a major help. Please show us your support by subscribing, leaving a five-star review, and telling your friends. If you want to hear bonus episodes of the show, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash otherworld. Our social media is at otherworldpod. Thank you to the team at Odyssey, J.D. Crowley, Jenna Weiss-Berman, Lee Reese-Dennis, Rob Morandi, Eric Donnelly, Matt Casey, Casey Clauser, Maura Curran, Josephina Francis, and Hilary Schuff. Follow and listen to Otherworld Now for free on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. And finally, if you or anyone you know has experienced something paranormal, supernatural, or unexplained, you could send us your story at storiesatotherworldpod.com. Do you want me to turn the light on? Yeah. Okay. It's too scary because I don't want to open or else the dog will come in. The who will come in? The dark. Who's the dark? The dark in my closet. Who's that? The dark in my closet. I just told you. I don't see anything. I just see the light on. Is it big or is it small? Big. Oh. Does it say anything? No. What color is it? Black. It's black? Mm-hmm. And where does it go in your room? Right here. On your bed? Oh. Why is it so scary? What makes you think it's a monster? The head is the monster. The head's a monster's head? Okay. Well, monsters aren't real. You know that, right? Maybe it just looks scary, but isn't scary.